You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Good day and welcome to We Are Libertarians Daily. I am your host, Reinhold, and today I'll be talking to you a little bit about filibuster and cloture and what it means to the Senate. So I'm going to try and make this not as boring as this could be, but I did want to get into some of the issues that I've noticed surrounding filibusters and cloture and the, some of the misnomers or the myths about it. One of the main ones is that the Senate was always meant to have the filibuster power within it, that there was always supposed to be unlimited debate, and that's the way the founders set it up. It's not necessarily the truth. I, I believe in this one too for a long time. So originally, the Senate and the House both had similar rules um, surrounding the end of debate. So the the idea of being able to call the question or end debate um, is kind of standard within most parliamentary uh, systems like Robert's you know, rules and that sort of thing. So this prevents people from trying to continue talking and talking and talking about a, a topic in order for it to never get voted on. Um, some see this as dilatory. Some see it as a proper use of uh, the rules in order to get your, your point across. So, so that was always part of the rules of the Senate when it first started. Now, in 1805, the president of the Senate, the vice president at the time, Aaron Burr, chided the Senate for having too many rules. And he did this on his way kind of out the door. This is his last act. Um, but he really put it into their heads that they had a lot of rules they didn't need, a lot of uh, rules that did the same thing, and there was a lot of confusion because of it. One of the ones he talked about was calling a question, and he felt that that wasn't, uh, that was already handled in another area of the rules and it was duplicitous and it should just be removed. So they took him up on that. They said, Hey, let's, let's take, let's take a look at it. We agree. There's too many rules. They decided to start eliminating some of the rules. And in doing so, they actually created the atmosphere for the filibuster to begin. They didn't under, they didn't know this yet. They didn't realize it, but the potential at that point from that moment on was that filibuster could exist in the U S Senate. Now, for the first several decades after this uh, real change had been put into place and the filibuster was in suddenly a possibility, not a lot of people uh, noticed it, and even fewer people uh, really cared at that point because there was a lot, there was not a lot of polarization going on. There was some, but just not, not a lot, you know, that there weren't a lot of issues that the Congress at that time and the Senate specifically were even dealing with because at the time we still believed in a very limited central government. So there weren't a lot of um, bills and laws and things like that that were being debated within the Congress at the time that would have brought forth the, the idea of the filibuster. Now, as we approach more into the um, rapid polarization of the country leading up to the Civil War, we start to see a little bit of a change in this. We see the, that the filibuster starts to get used a little bit. Uh, now, after the Civil War, in the 1880s or so, people starting to 
really take hold of using the filibuster. A lot of this was over the fallout of the Civil War, how we were going to deal with, you know, the southern states, bringing them back in, reconstruction, etc. So there's a lot of polarization at that point going forward. So the filibuster started becoming used more and more and more. And the problem with the filibuster wasn't just that the issues that they were talking about, the bill before them, wouldn't get voted on because we would just continue talking about it and talking about it. But during that time, also, you can't bring any other business to the floor. So things were getting pushed back so far and things weren't getting dealt with because people would have these fights over specific bills that were very contentious. And the minority was using this tool to to impose its will on the majority as much as it could. In fact, it was so bad that there were a lot of calls for the filibuster to be curtailed or eliminated completely. All right. So, um, so this kind of blows a hole in the notion that the filibuster is this long, long-term tradition within the Senate that it's always been there. It was designed to be there to create the Senate to be the deliberative body. Now, I think that's a good way to look at the Senate. I think that's what the Senate should be there for, but it's not historically been the reason for the filibuster or the nature of the Senate. So this continued to keep getting worse and worse throughout the latter half of the 1800s, early part of the 1900s, to where finally Woodrow Wilson is elected president. Now, Woodrow Wilson believed himself to be a great scholar on the Senate, he did a, a dissertation on it. He uh, wanted to change how the Senate worked and how it functioned. And he initially gets some success. He starts getting some of his... Um, Initiatives uh, passed through the Senate. Everything seems to be going well for the first year, year and a half. And then the new Senate gets um, seated and they start going back to their ways of filibustering many things. What really kind of changed the nature of the game was that they filibustered a plan that Woodrow Wilson had to secretly arm uh, merchant ships during World War I. Right. Um, because he, he thought this was a big deal with national defense. And he, he made a big stink of it. I mean, it got really popular, um, became a, a notorious scandal at the time. And senators were actually being burned in effigy over this, right? How dare these senators defeat uh, our ability to defend ourselves from German U-boats in World War One? In fact, around President Wilson up so much that he actually backtracked on something he had written originally in his dissertation, uh, detailing how he's going to be the legislator in chief. He he wrote that it is the proper duty of a representative body to look diligently into every affair of government and talk much about what it sees. Right, so that was part of his dissertation. Unfortunately, in March of nineteen seventeen. As the Congress expired without completing much of its work, including the arming of of merchant ships for defense, Wilson uh, called them out. And what he stated was, the Senate of the United States is the only legislative body in the world which cannot act when its majority is ready for action. A little group of willful men representing no opinion but their own 
have rendered the great government of the United States helpless and contemptible. Right. So, as I stated, this this turned into a national uh, fervor. The uh, senators were being burned in effigy, so they needed to do something about this. They determined to have a special session called um, after this statement. It was four days later. And figure out what they were going to do about solving this filibuster issue. And they, they determined that they were going to do what is um, referred to as cloture. Now, cloture is a French term, which is where the idea of, of cloture came from. It was from the French uh, Senate uh, just a few years earlier than the, um, the British Parliament picked it up and started using it as well. So. This is something that the United States decided that they needed to try and implement. Now, the big contending part of this was what threshold were they going to use to invoke cloture? Was it going to be just a simple majority or was it going to be some sort of supermajority? And so as they're adopting this rule, which they call Rule 22, and it's still Rule 22 in the Senate, they, they had a bipartisan committee that was formed to kind of debate this. Five of the six Democrats supported a simple majority, one Republican supported a supermajority, and one Republican preferred no role. So negotiators cut a deal that the cloture would require two-thirds of senators voting. And opponents promised not to block or weaken the proposal. Uh, supporters promised to drop their own proposal for a simple majority. And a proposal stored... Um, which which over 40 senators supported that simple majority vote. Um, so they decided to go with the supermajority of two-thirds votes, right? And it was two-thirds of voter of senators voting. So if you weren't present or you weren't there or you abstained, the, that didn't count into the total, so it could change the, the threshold of the original closure. And this culture rule was adopted 76 to 3 by the Senate. And so for the next 46 years, cloture was only called on filibusters five times. Now, there's some intervening stories in the middle of there. So about eight years after the cloture was put in place, uh, a lot of new vice presidents came in and basically told the Senate that, hey, I don't really know a lot about the parliamentary rules, kind of just Suffer with me as I figure it out, and, and we'll work this out, and we'll get better at it. Uh, but that didn't happen in, in 1925. That was um, Charles Dawes, which is Vice President Charles Dawes, a conservative Republican. He unleashed a blistering attack on a small group of progressive Republican senators who had filibustered Leslie's legislation at the end of the previous session. So this is eight years after we have the, the cloture rule which allowed two-thirds of senators present and voting to take steps to end the debate in particular measure. The existing two-thirds rule, he thundered, at times enables senators to consume an oratory those last precious minutes of a session needed for momentous decisions, thereby placing the great power in the hands of the few senators. Unless Rule 22 were liberalized, he said, it would lessen the effectiveness, prestige, and dignity of the United States Senate. So this diatribe really kind of infuriated a lot of senators, right, who believe that the chamber's rules were none of the vice president's business. 
But out of this came a book written in June 1926 by Columbia University professor Lindsay Rogers. The book was titled The American Senate. Now, the purpose of this was to defend the Senate's tradition of virtually unlimited debate, except in times of dire national emergency. Now, Professor Rogers really did not agree with Vice President Dawes on his uh, belief that the cloture rule needed to be more liberalized. He turned back down to a simple majority was really what he was trying to get at. He stated the undemocratic usurping Senate is the, the indispensable check and balance in the American system. And only complete freedom of debate allows it to play this role. Now, this is where we see the idea of the Senate being the deliberative body comes from, uh, this book. So this kind of changed the path that the senators are trying to force down that we would have a simple majority, um, ending filibuster or ending debate. So they remained a supermajority. Now, there were some changes to this in the next few years. The first change being that it would no longer be uh, two-thirds of of voters, of senators voting. It would be um, three-fifths of the number of senators who are in the body, right? So it went from being something manipulated by how many people were actually voting, which changed the number for it being whether it could be ended it that the debate could be ended or not to a more static number of how many people are seated in the body um if you don't have any at like if you don't have any open seats or anything like that so that number would change if there were some open seats but since uh, we pretty much stayed static at 100 senators for quite a long time that's number's been 60 and that's where the 60 number comes from now now as you go back and look at the um the history of the number of cloture votes that are filed, voted on, and then passed uh, throughout the, the history of the Senate, the numbers are very, very tiny. Um, just just a few maybe here and there every year, leading all the way up to 1971. Now, the 1971, 1972, the 92nd um, Congress, they made a change, right? So... Up until this point, when you filibustered, uh, you were still stopping all other legislation from being discussed. Okay. And this could be used as a tactic to end, uh, to kind of get this, the session over so other business couldn't come through. You would filibuster something sort of random uh, or something important, whichever. But it would block all business at that point until the, the basically the Senate session ended and you were done and nothing got accomplished. So it wasn't used very often uh, because of that, because people didn't want to be the blocker of all the other work getting done. And more and more things are happening and happening there. Um, then they changed the rules to state that if a filibuster is um, put in place, that it would be tabled until a cloture mo motion could end it, and they would take it as read and continue on with other business. Okay. Um, now, this still required that the filibuster be filed, that the or, or be started and be in existence before this could could happen. So it kind of allowed other things to continue to go on while the filibuster was taking place. It didn't just stop everything in the Senate. Uh, and this continued on for a number of years. 
until oh don't remember I don't know the exact date and I haven't been able to try to have been able to track down the exact date yet. But it was somewhere in the late nineties, early two thousands, where the Senate uh leaders, the Democrats and Republicans, kind of got together and agreed, hey, this really isn't working. What we want to do is be able to just show our intent for a filibuster without Hackford actually going through the filibuster process. And what they decided was is that if someone did that, if the, if the minority decided they were going to filibuster, the majority would then take it as read that it happened. To say, as long as they have a basically a little piece of paper that has the list of 41 senators on it that said that they would intend to filibuster and therefore not support a cloture vote, that whatever business that was attached to would just get tabled and not brought up. Right. So now you didn't have to go through any of the process of doing the filibuster to begin with and making sure that you had the people in place and everything there. It, it just became a silent filibuster. That's what it's kind of called now. It's the silent filibuster. All you have to do is say, I want a filibuster on this topic. It goes away. And they just continue on doing other things. So, of course, once you make it this easy to quote filibuster, which you're not actually filibustering, then the numbers skyrocket, you know, from single digits to, you know, to the 70s when it was now, okay, now we're in the 20s and 30s, and cloture's actually being called on almost a dozen uh, times, to the 90s, where it's 60, 80, 85, 90. And, of course, we get the the huge bump. Uh, in between 2007, 2008, 2013, 2014, where we're seeing 139, 250. You know, it's just, it's just a skyrocket so much because it's become such an easy tactic to use to stop what you don't want. It, it's become that the, the minority really has started to take control of the Senate much more than they really should have. I mean, when was the last time you remember seeing an actual filibuster taking place? It's it's a rare, unique thing to see someone standing up and, and trying to control uh Senate that long on a filibuster. You know, uh Senator Rand Paul was like the the most recent that I can think of when he was um filibustering to bring attention to the the droning issue. So um the longest filibuster was during the Civil Rights Act. So the there's not there's not been historically a lot of real filibusters uh, that take place. It's all these silent filibusters that are starting to, to basically turn the Senate into a purposely deliberatory body to being run by the uh, the minority and everything needing a supermajority to pass, and it's just becoming uh, ineffective at that point. All right, so there's got to be a balance there. And I, I think that the that they have kind of gone overboard by allowing these silent filibusters. I would like to see them get rid of the silent filibusters. I've always called for that to happen, that these silent filibusters should go away. And if you, they should start ma forcing people to actually doing, going through the process of filibustering. Because they'll start to filibuster, people will get tired out after a few days. It's not going to last that long. You just wait them out, cancel it, and then move on from there. People will start getting 
frustrated. They're not getting their bills through. They'll start to vote for cloture. It'll take care of itself. But instead, we have this gentleman's agreement that has now created this untenable situation, which kind of leads, leads us to the nuclear option now. So President Obama wanted to get all of these uh, judges into office because they needed to appoint them. And the Republicans were being very, very, very uh, blocking of that. So they wouldn't let any of these judges come through for nomination. They would just filibuster them all. That's the largest, the large number of the filibusters in that time frame were from that reason. So that's why in 2013, Harry Reid invoked the nuclear option, as it was called, to change the rules so that only a simple majority was necessary to end the debate on nominations for the judges and everything at that level, the federal judges and other appointees, but not touch the Supreme Court nominations. There was still a belief at that time that somebody going on the Supreme Court really needed to have a supermajority support before they were put on that position. Any other position, federal judge, that sort of thing, that can all, uh, you know, somebody's not acting right, they could change that, they could fire, that sort of thing. This was a, an appointment for life, so that belief that the the Supreme Court should still be at 60 votes in order to pass, still held. And then we get into Merrick Garland and the end of Obama's term. So there was an opening in the Supreme Court. Merrick Garland was not was placed on the uh, consideration block, and the Republicans prevented him from getting, not, you know, being brought up for nomination because they hoped that they could win the next presidential election, and if they did, then they would be able to get a president to put a nomina nomination for that would be more to their liking. And it, it worked for them. They were able to uh, prevent that from happening. Uh, we didn't have President Trump get nominated or win the election. And he nominates, you know, Gorsuch. Now, Gorsuch is now being nominated. The left is like, well, we don't, we just want to try to block um, this, but they were going to, you know, by not allowing, not, they had enough votes to prevent. You know, to prevent cloture. So the Republicans changed the rule again, amended Rule 22 to allow that even Supreme Court justices would also be included in that simple majority vote for cloture. And because of that, now Supreme Court nominees like uh, like Gorsuch and recently Kavanaugh are able to get nominated with a simple majority vote. So that's kind of where we are at right now with, with the filibuster and cloture. And my take on it, as I said, was that we should be trying to make sure that the, the idea of the Senate being the deliberative body, I think is still a good one, even though it's not the original design. It wasn't the original plan, as it were, but I still think it's a good, a kind of good role for the Senate be the slower, more deliberative body of, of Congress. As far as we get with the Supreme Court nominations, I agreed with the the Supreme Court really should be a 60-vote uh, threshold, in my opinion, to get into the, uh, to get on the Supreme Court. 
that's just my opinion because I believe that that since that's a lifetime uh, position that really should have some sort of bipartisan support. No way you can really ensure that is the that the sixty uh, vote requirement. Uh, but that's that's my opinion. Uh, based off the history and everything you know now about the filibuster and cloture, what is your opinion? What do you think should be done going forward? Is this a tenable position for you, do you think? Personally, I don't. I think that what we have now in the Senate is untenable, and it turns it into a, a just a mess of a, of a body of legislatures. Um, so I think that they should get rid of the silent filibuster. And I believe that they should take um, the rule amended that allowed for Supreme Court nominations to go to a 50th vote threshold instead of a 60 to end the debate. Um, should be changed back to the way it was. But otherwise, kind of want to leave everything else in place, as it were. I think when, if you could get rid of those two things, I think a lot of the uh, issues that we're seeing would start to kind of fall away. But... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's another way of doing it. Maybe it should just be the simple uh, calling the question and, and then get rid of the filibuster completely because the, the House doesn't have it, right? So the House hasn't had a filibuster all these all these years, and it's it's still worked, as it were. So it's really more what you as you kind of have to come up with this idea of your own. So that's that's kind of it for me. That's this uh, this episode of Wall Daily. I hope you enjoyed listening, and we'll be back soon with more episodes in the future. Thank you.